Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 116. Your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. Now, Joe had to come in this week in case uh, Ravi can't handle typing on the keyboard and everything. You're not a cyborg anymore, Ravi. No, I'm a human <laughs> man now. They've uh, removed metal from my arm and it was a really weird thing. I was awake during the operation. Oh, what I want to know is, you've said it a few times today, uh, they've removed the metal from my arm, I'm no longer a cyborg. And I'm like, brilliant. What, why was there metal in your arm in the first place? <laughs> I, I, I had a, a, a push bike crash about five years ago oh. and uh, they needed it to reinforce it and I just kind of left it in there and I was like, eh. And then it got really annoying. So I was like, right, time to get it out. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Playing too many uh, stunt biking video games, weren't you? I thought That's you could it, do it in real life. Trying yeah. to do excite bike at home. Trials. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a lesson to you. Yeah. But Joe is back this week and, uh, you know, we thought it might be quite a good episode to have full crew on tonight because we're going to be talking about man dens or man caves if you like is this the modern day shed for the kind of nerd <laughs> well it's the not indoor garage let, let's just we, we say man cave but you know women are welcome in the cave as well it's we're open to everyone yeah yeah i'm sure there's a lot of uh, i'm not gonna say lady caves <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be bad uh, but i mean you had moved into a new house what about two years ago now was it uh, yeah i got my place about two years ago um our first our first bought property Ooh. yeah and uh yeah i've got a nice big man cave <laughs> <laughs> this is like innuendo stage yeah. on the show this week isn't it? <laughs> should we stay place <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah no i use it quite a bit a lot more now we've got the futon in there mm-hmm. um really just really nice space to be in and you've got all your systems set up as all well all the systems set up all the games out nice on display uh, the missus hates the fact that I like having all the the systems boxes you know mm. like all yeah. stacked up as well in the room she's like why have you done that and I'm like have you even seen any of the YouTubers it's cool man it's cool <laughs> <laughs> well Ravi's been working I mean every time I look at him on Facebook he's like chopping bits of wood and all sorts yeah, of yeah. if it wasn't for my arm I'd, I'd maybe be finished now but um, <laughs> I've kind of built the wall but it hasn't got anything on it yet so uh, what's going to be on there then uh, I'm going to put some MDF up and kind of separate the rooms off and then uh, have my own little VR man cave. Uh, it was like at the front of my house, so you walked in to the living room yeah. kind of style, so I decided to divide that off. That's pretty cool. Well, I'd be looking at places as well, and I think we put an offer in on a house last week, and there was an upstairs section of this place we'd looked at, and, you know, fingers crossed we'd get it, we'll see. Um, but it looked perfect for a gaming room. Mm. Samantha's looking at, like, you know, bathroom sizes and, uh, you know, yeah. talks about what's a garden like, and I'm thinking, how many plug sockets is this yeah, room you've got? got your priorities yeah. right yeah. when they say like how many square feet is you just look at them gone out and then sam goes that means you can have 87 atari jaguars in there and you're like oh right, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, that makes sense to me now <laughs> <laughs> well, i have been looking like could i attach like a desk all the way around this wall like, yeah that, well, that works so but the reason we're going to be talking about this this week is because our special guest is retro man cave now this guy we i remember seeing his first video and it was like it seems like it was yesterday yeah but he kind of went from zero subscribers to... 30K? 32,000 checked. Yeah, within six months. And yeah. It was just phenomenal. And his channel's so good. And as he's built his channel, he's built his man cave, so you can kind of see his channel getting bigger and the room that he's in getting bigger in his collection as well. <laughs> well, we, we met Neil, that's his real name, at Play Expo, didn't we? Um, the last one we did in Blackpool, he was there. And... Since then, the amount of requests we've had, so many people saying, you've got to get him on, he's one of the best YouTubers right now. And we agree, I mean, like, I've, I've watched him pretty much since day one as well. So today we're going to talk a bit about, you know, collecting and how to get like a perfect space for your video game collections because if you're anything like us, I mean, you guys are probably the same. You start with a couple of systems and then mm. it's like the breed overnight or something, isn't it? You're like, Absolutely, suddenly, yeah. why doesn't everything fit in my cupboard anymore? Well, also, <laughs> also, we're going to talk about maintaining them and kind of getting them going and, you know, how oh, to make them look nice. Don't get me started on maintaining them, <laughs> right? Every day, I walk into my man cave and I see the curtains are open, the sun's blazing <gasps> in, and I see it on my Super Nintendo and I go... <gasps> <laughs> and I'm there closing the blinds, closing the curtains, just going, that bloody wife of mine, does she know it's going to bleach it? <laughs> Got a little like uh, bit of paper there with yellow on it, comparing the shades oh, and stuff. Oh, God, I'm so bad for it. I'm so, so bad for it. Well, Neil might have some tips for you. Yeah, so. maybe. Well, you mentioned that because I've I've read on forums for so long that apparently it's ultraviolet light that turns systems yellow. Yeah. And recently, I've had a few systems that I couldn't fit in my Mandel anymore. So I put them in the airing cupboard and I thought they'd be all right in here. Took one out. <laughs> And it actually yellowed quite a bit in like a week. 
Oh, really? And I'm like, maybe warmth does it as well? Heat, heat yeah. and UV. Yeah, well, there's no UV in there, just heat. So, just heat. yeah, that was like an old Amiga hard Maybe discovery. Samantha's got one of those little, like, little UV like, <laughs> lights, like what you use when you're doing, like, when you're growing something in a scientific lab. <laughs> turns just, it on when I'm out, yeah. Turns it on when you're out. <laughs> he might throw it out him. then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, we're going to get some great tips, I'm sure, off Neil about maintaining your collection, avoiding sneaky wives who try and destroy it. Yeah. Uh, he's coming up. Retro Man Cave is our special guest on the Retro Hour podcast in around 20 minutes from now. Now, of course, we do have to say thank you to the people who keep this show going week in, week out, and the people who are, you know, our favourite people in the world. People who make the Retro Hour Hall of Fame. Now, the way you earn a place in here, dead simple. All you've got to do is make a little donation into the running of the show. That's yeah. what we ask. And you could put a little comment on there for Dan as well, which is quite funny. <laughs> yeah, we did realise this last week, Joe, that you can actually attach a comment to uh, PayPal. Oh, really? So I've got about two years worth of comments to look back on, so... I'll look back on them all, I do promise. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, guys, we really appreciate it. Obviously, anything we get into it, you know, it's a tip jar. It's not essential. If, if you don't want to or you can't, we completely understand that. But if you'd like to help us out into the running of the show, we do have a little PayPal button or crypto, if you're into that. Um, there's not much of that around anymore from what I see, but all you've got to do is nip uh, onto the website. Okay. <laughs> theretrohour.com. Now, this week, thank you so much. Making the Hall of Fame, Greg Gurk. Eamon Murphy. Pierre Crespin. And Toby Philpot, who all made donations. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. And you can do the same. Those links are on the front page of theretrohour.com. Now, a little follow-up to a story that we did cover at the back end of last year, because uh, we thought this was really interesting and a worthwhile cause. A new home computer museum in the Netherlands. Yeah, so you get a lot of focus on consoles usually, but you don't get a look at the home computers. And, you know, me and Dan, we're, we're really good fans of home computers. And... Uh, Joe, he loves his console kind of stuff. But this place is excellent because it's totally celebrating that. And that's the Home Computer Museum. It's currently eight euros per person to go and see that. So that's not bad at all. Not it's bad at cheap. all. And they've got a massive selection of systems. I'm going to try and name some to see if you can kind of remember them. Or if you know about them, the K-Pro 4. I've heard of the K-Pro I couldn't tell you six. what it was. Yeah, I thought you might. Yeah, in, in your man cave. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They're all, they're all yellowed. <laughs> the Olivetti Echoes 26C. Nope. <laughs> Is that like a PC or something, Ravi? I, I, I'm I expect, not sure. I expect you to know if you're asking. Come on. Uh, but they've also got stuff that you probably have heard of. Commodore Big 20s in there, Sinclair ZX81s, Osborne ones. Did you see the pictures that our friend uh, Marvin Drugsma put on Facebook? Yeah. He was at their opening weekend. Yeah, so was Jerome Tell as well. Yeah. And there's there's an actual Jerome Tell room, which is kind of dedicated to Jerome Tell's setup that he had when he was a kid and celebrating his kind of music. Yeah, they've got like a lot of his games around it and LC64 on there. It's It looks a really impressive place. I'm impressed at how big it is. Yeah, it looks really cool. Next time we're in the Netherlands, we definitely need to go because they're going to have a lot of systems that we didn't have because it's more in that kind of European section. So they're going to have some... Really odd ones there for us to check well, out. Well, as we've just seen from the list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think stuff like this is so important, and I'm glad that Bart did manage to get this off the ground because I saw him um, in December. We're at the movie premiere in London. Yeah, for the I Condor saw story. him at Germany. Yeah, and I know he's been really wanting to get this off the ground. It was a bit shaky for a while whether it would happen, but it looks like, you know, he's pulled through and he's managed to get this place open with a lot of blood, sweat and tears. Very impressive achievement, that is. Absolutely. Definitely. So you need to support him. If you're anywhere near Helmand in the Netherlands, all you've got to do is nip onto our website, theretrohour.com. We'll have links there where you can get your tickets. I mean, come on, eight euros per person. Oh, bargain. And Not it's all, all, all interactive as well. You can play on everything by the looks of it. So Now let's talk about um, handheld gaming for a while because uh, this story is quite interesting. Handheld games are now on the Internet Archive. Now, we've talked about archive.org on the show. We actually had Jason Scott on, didn't we, last year? Yeah, when he'd, he'd actually uploaded a load of uh, Nintendo games then, hadn't he? Briefly. <laughs> yeah, got them took down straight Good on away. Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> What's great about Internet Archive is uh, that they actually, you know, when they put software on there, they usually have it playable through a web browser. Yeah. So that means, if, you know, if you're at work and you want to play, like, Doom or something. Oh, yeah. Pretend you've got your spreadsheet open. <laughs> why, is, why is Excel making that weird noise, Rally? It's like the imps going, rawr, rawr. Don't know, don't know. Well, this plays it through MAME as well, and MAME is like your best arcade. 
accurate emulator you know it's really good and the fact that you can have mame in a browser now i didn't think that would happen but yeah it's fantastic well we were talking before we started recording the show a bit about this and ravi was like well, let's talk about handheld stuff for a while you know game gears and links you mm, were thinking mm. this is not what they've uploaded though yeah you see i thought that was quite interesting because when ravi mentioned the story before we came on i instantly went to game boy yeah like you think handheld uh for me that's just the go-to game boy in all pocket whatever um game boy advance and everything but straight away, it's it's all kind of like your game and watch and all your LCD games, which I think is quite interesting. Tiger Electronics games. Yeah. <laughs> oh, very, wow. Okay. Very odd. And there's even, like, speak and spell emulator on here as well. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, these are true, like, forgotten classics. I'm looking through a few of them here. There was actually a Tiger Electronics Golden Axe game. Yeah, there was, there was quite a few... Um, Tiger Electronic games, um, you know, which like a lot of the Mega Drive kind of games kind of converted to... Yeah, Liquid Crystal, wasn't it? It was really bad, and the animation was like... Eh, Mon- eh, monochrome, yeah. yeah mono- and you'd have like four frames, and yeah. they'd essentially just light up as it went along, wouldn't yeah. they? They've even got the Tamagotchi on here. Yeah, well, that was similar <laughs> yeah. technology, wasn't they it? They've got Tamagotchi on here. Yeah. <laughs> that was brilliant. But looking through the list here, Mortal Kombat, there was a Tiger Electronics version of that, which I really want to play now. Robocop 2... Space Jam, Back to the Future. Oh, Space, Space Jam, Jam. wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty Batman late. Forever as well. That's, that's pretty that's late. quite a lot. There's even Pac-Man on here as well, made by Tomy. Again, you know, you, you couldn't get much more obscure than a lot of these. And I remember some of these. I remember seeing that Contra one. And I think there was like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game as well with that same kind of green shell and two yeah. buttons. Yeah. I mean, it'd be quite interesting to play some of them. Um, obviously, you'd probably get bored of them after 20 seconds. As we days, used to. <laughs> as we used to back then anyway. Um, but I think it'd just be interesting just to kind of see what they were kind of going for. So, you know, a lot of these games are like side-along beat-em-ups or just one-on-one fighters. It's just interesting to see what, you know, like you said, they only have like four frames of animation, so... But a lot of the time, I mean, there's Sonic the Hedgehog on here as well, made by Tiger Electronics. And a lot of the time, Simon were, as well, and you know. yeah. But a lot of the time, they were essentially the same game. Yeah, and they'd sell these to kids whose like parents maybe couldn't afford a Mega Drive or a yeah. Game Gear. Oh, right, here's Sonic the Hedgehog, little Timmy, for Christmas. Oh, yeah. geez, thanks, mom. Well, oh. Ashen's channel yeah. covers these quite a lot. <laughs> oh, Ashen's channel. Um, <laughs> if you've seen that, it covers these quite a lot because he actually has the modern tiger consoles do they still do them they're still doing them and they're and they're the screens have got a little bit bigger widescreen yeah they've (laughs) still got the bad animation and they're still trying to like rip off call of duty and stuff like that (laughs) call of duty with four frames of animation (laughs) so again though that is to me that is true nostalgia because looking at them there are a few there that really like tickled the nostalgia muscle you know stuff that I haven't seen since I was a kid yeah and like that is truly like oh my god I remember that not something like a Mega Drive where I'm like, yeah, I've played that a million times in the yeah. last 30 years but yeah they're, they're worth checking out and I actually will be playing a few of them see what they're like so if you want to get that we'll put a link in this week's show notes as well now Nurg is coming back yes Nurg 2018 now we always talk about this every year it seems like a really cool kind of arcade focused retro gaming event mm. And this is going on on the 14th and 15th of July, and it's at the Gateshead International Stadium. Way I. Yeah. Now, this is the uh, Northeast Retro Gaming event. This has been going about two or three years now, has it? Yeah, and I, they, they've got like they've got a list of the kind of arcade units that they're going to have there. And, you know, they've got Sega Rally, Space Invaders, they've got a lot of pinball machines and stuff like that, traders. And, yeah, it's been going for quite a while. Um, I think it's because that kind of... Northeast areas just not addressed in the country. Absolutely. And, like, you know, my, my folks live in North Yorkshire, so not too far away. And I always hear about this event after it's been on. Yeah. I think the first year I heard about it, there's a YouTuber called um, Retro Gamer VX, who I think he, he like lives in Newcastle. And he's really interesting. He gets like the most random stuff on his channel, but he actually did like a walk around tour of the first Nerg about maybe two or three years ago, whenever right. it was. I remember looking at it thinking, oh, if I'd have gone back to see the folks that weekend, I'd have gone Yeah, to it that, would have been so. quick, you know, see the parents. We, we should pop go along to that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Night out in Newcastle as well. Take around the big market, Ravi. Why, I man. <laughs> I wouldn't take around the big market. You're not ready for that yet. <laughs> but um, They're not ready for Ravi. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you're in that area of the country. What's cool is, though, that they are kind of popping up everywhere now, these kind of little retro gaming shows and. 
wherever you are in the country, there's something going on now, which is cool. Yeah, there's always something to look forward to, which is great. I remember there was years of none of this stuff, you know. It was really unfashionable. Well, you you were telling me, you know, I think, we probably first met about, what, eight years ago now? Seven, yeah. Eight years ago? And I remember when we first met, there wasn't many shows going on. And you were telling me that you'd been to, like, some retro gaming event the year before in, like, a church hall or something. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been to lots in church halls. I've been to ones where, you know, the organisers were angry. Yeah. Why is no one here? <laughs> Going crazy. <laughs> you know? At least you got free tea and biscuits. Though, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, let's talk about the Video Game Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, this looks really interesting. So, you know they have the kind of celebrity actors Hall of Fame. The Hollywood Walk of the Fame. The Hollywood right? one, yeah, yeah. Where they have The real ones, the mainstream ones. Yeah, all the, all the <laughs> nominees kind of come out and then they pick them out with a big panel and a committee. Well, they actually have that for video games as well. So this is, it's by a, a place in America, um, the Strong Museum. Yeah, now this is the National Museum of Play in America. Okay. So they kind of, you know, cover all the aspects of play. And obviously gaming is a, uh, video gaming is a massive section of that. So they have this exhibition as a permanent exhibition there, this Hall of Fame. So each year they choose a new inductee to enter. Well, there's 12 finalists that they've got this year and... Essentially, they get gamers to vote on who should be that year's big star, essentially. But, you know, they date back to all, like, genres of video gaming. Yeah. I mean, there are a few this year. Minecraft, uh, Metroid, Tomb Raider, Half-Life's in there as well, uh, Call of Duty, and Asteroids, Dance Dance Revolution. I know you're a big fan of that, Revy. Yeah, Space War as well <laughs> is up against them. Yeah. Space War, wow. Space War. That was, like, what, the first one well, of the first yeah, ever yeah. games, wasn't it, way back in the day? Was it, what was that, PDP? I One think it was, actually. Yeah. yeah, it was on a punch card yeah. <laughs> or yeah. tape, yeah. See, this really confused me because Ravi was telling me about it earlier on. And I just looked at the link and the first thing I saw about reading it, and I wasn't really paying attention because I was looking at my phone and it was just like, Samus Saran is up against Lara Croft. <clears throat> and Ravi was like, who would you vote for? Vote for? And I was like, oh... <laughs> Well, I would have thought there'd be much sexier women out there in games these days. And the face of Dan was just like, what are you on about, Joe? Get your head out of your pants, Joe. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what I'm on about. You don't find Donkey Kong attractive then, Joe? Is that no, what you're no. Or, or asteroids. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I was just so confused. I was like, wait, what are we on about? Like, after I said it. Yeah, I don't think attractiveness is necessarily a quality they're looking for when uh, picking a winner of this year's... It could, uh... it could be. <laughs> maybe that's one of the hidden categories. Yeah. So, yeah, if you've got a bit of a thing for uh, Pac-Man... John Madden. <laughs> then uh, the voting is going to be open very soon, and we'll put a link in this week's show notes at theretrohour.com, where you can find all the stories every week. Now, Ravi, you're a big fan of virtual reality at the moment. Are you still into it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm loving it, actually. I've got um, this app called Within, which is 360 video, and it's so good because it's like New York Times and stuff, and they actually spend time going out and making these really cool things. I'm, I'm a bit mixed. Like, the video stuff's amazing. The CGI stuff, eh, not so interested in it. But if they could somehow make really good texture mapping and stuff. The figuring out what's real and what's like yeah. VR, you know, that's getting really difficult as well for Ravi. Because <laughs> <laughs> when he's not doing the show, he lives in VR. Yeah. That's it, yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I've been playing GTA Five on it as well, and that's uh, just incredible on VR. See, uh, my, my, my mate, like Paul, he loves racing games in VR. Mm. Probably talked about it on the show before. He's actually got like a sit-down kind of cabinet and a VR yeah. and everything. And, and like, you know, to him, he loves loves doing it and but i can't play virtual reality racing games i puke after like five minutes oh well the psvr which we're, we're actually talking yeah. about in the story which is the price has dropped and they're um doing support for wipeout omega which is quite cool but wipeout was quite a fast game imagine that in vr like is that... <laughs> it was even like the original wipeout which the first wipeout is actually i think probably harder to play than the sequel i was always hitting the corners so yeah i could never get on with wipeout because my only experiences of wipeout was you know the ps1 demos yeah when i was really young and just really just really struggling with them because they were so fast and i was just like where's my blue shells you know this ain't mario Kart yeah. kind of thing <laughs> like and just you know remember trying to take sharp corners and just smashing into everything. So I've just never really, really given Wipeout another chance. But 2097 for me was like when they got it right. Yeah, they, they improved the handling then though, didn't yeah. they? And Because like, they had the air brakes as well where you could, yeah. Well, everyone I think on the first Wipeout, I've watched you know, YouTube videos in recent years about it mm. and everyone has that same complaint that if you do slightly tap a corner, 
you stop to a halt pretty much. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And that's my memory of it. And I just, yeah. you know, I just remember thinking, oh, no, I can't get on with this. But in every kind of sort of aspect of it, like visually, it sh- this should be amazing for somebody at that time, you know, somebody my age at that time. Um, but no, I just never got on with it. But this looks pretty cool. I mean, maybe I'd throw up down myself like Dan does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've played, I've actually got the collection on PS4 VR. Yeah. Oh, no, PS4 itself, but they're going to be doing a free update. So if you've got the collection... If you've got the VR, you can play it, yeah. Yeah, it'll be VNR enabled soon. But yeah, it's it's a lot easier to play than the original, though. Yeah, yeah imagine. The modern ones. Yeah. It's not just a prodigy music playing and doosh, <laughs> doosh, doosh, like the original one was. But I do look, I think Wipeout's a great franchise. Anyway, I was pleased to see it come back. Well, what games do you... Would you like to see kind of in VR, you know, classic games brought back? Oh, Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball. <laughs> Joe's probably thinking. <laughs> it's always, always on my mind. Always on my mind. I think GoldenEye would be good. Yeah. Or Unreal Tournament. For me, I was going to say the original Doom might be fun, but I'm sure that's been done. Didn't you fall asleep in Doom on VR? In the new Doom, I did. Yeah. <laughs> it was... It's probably been done on a calculator or something as well. Didn't you, <laughs> Nuke and 3D, that would be cool. Yeah. If, yeah, if you, when you fun. kicked, if you could actually kick. <laughs> you know what? I think that's what VR needs to be. I mean, you're going to build this room where you can essentially... So what, what headset have you got? I've got HTC Vive, and they've just gone down in price, actually, which is quite good. £200 have gone down. And you, You've got trackers you can walk around. Yeah, so what okay. you do is you, you get one of the VR kind of controllers and you define the space on the floor and then the walls are drawn in VR. All right, okay. So you don't run into the <laughs> wall. <you know>. yeah, <laughs> Runs into so his MDF so you know, wall he's yeah. made. You know, you straight, know it straight through it into his hallway. <laughs> That's another metal plate I need in my arm. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, that is actually really good though because the PSVR most games are played sitting down. Yeah, but I find the best game that I'm playing on VR at the moment is table tennis. No By way. far, out of any of the games, table tennis, you can play... <laughs> you on, one-handed. Yeah, one-handed, you can play it online against people as well. It would be cheaper just to go get a ping-pong table. <laughs> yeah. Pay two grand to play virtual ping-pong. Yeah. You have to well find with. a partner, though. Yeah, yeah. So you need a friend for that, God. Friends cost more than two grand. Like yeah. Forrest Gump, just yeah, yeah, yeah. against the wall. <laughs> but, you know, VR, it's, it's an interesting time right now. And, you know, with PSVR as well, a lot of people kind of thought, oh, maybe Sony are going to kind of give up on it. Because the sales yeah. weren't quite where they wanted it to be. But they did, you know, back in you know the last big event they did um, they, they were talking about a lot of new titles that are coming up this mm. year so they are still supporting it and hoping that it will kind of and this price drop I think will help as well I'm still not convinced it's going to take over the world like a lot of people thought well, I'm just was. waiting for that e- EMU VR to work with the emulator thing I think we're talking about yeah, it yeah I haven't tried it yet I'm going to try and do a YouTube video on it and uh try and play some retro stuff and being in a retro bedroom and all of this. So this is, yeah, for people that missed that episode, that's essentially a 90s bedroom simulator. Yeah. <laughs> With, like, N64 Even, PlayStation. Is, is it, that detail, and it's, like, down to, like, the bag of crisps on the side as well. <laughs> like. Yeah, or Mountain Dew or Tab Clear yeah. or something. Yeah. But Crystal, you've got Crystal Pepsi, actually, really, haven't you? you can yeah. Do that, yeah. Ravi Bohr, actually, we were talking about this the other week as well, retro suites. You bought Toffos off eBay. Yeah, th- this is crazy. Toffos, they're still selling them in the Arabs. Bring yeah, right. you know, UAE. Yeah. So there's people buying them uh, in like UAE, selling them on eBay, and then you can buy them again and have a retro experience. Bring back. But, but they sell out quickly because I buy them. Polo Citrus Sharps. Bring them back. Oh, yeah. I, Bring I them back. Pack. I, rem- <laughs> I remember hitting a, hitting a whole pack of them. I had a bit of a dodgy stomach after. <laughs> then on the back it said, warning. Excessive consumption may be may cause a laxative effect. Oh, and so nice. I can't though. confirm it does. <laughs> a fluorescent green. <laughs> they were, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but toffos. I always remember the banana toffos. Oh yeah, my no, you can't get them anymore. Just pure. Are they school. still individually wrapped in paper and very yeah. difficult to unwrap? Yeah, and they're still pretty tough. And, <laughs> yeah. That's probably why they discontinued them. The price of wrapping every individual one, I guess. But I kind of got addicted, so I need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the world's supply in your yeah, living room. Yeah, yeah. I, at one point, there's I one box of forty-eight yeah. left, and Ravi has them all. Like, <laughs> there's a video in the last Toffo in the world. <laughs> anyway, I'll save that for our sweets podcast. <laughs> right, well, thank you for checking out episode number one one six. That's been the news section for this week, and of course, you can subscribe to the Retro Hour podcast in all of your favourite podcast clients. We're on Overcast. I've been checking this out. On there recently big fan of overcast actually that's my new favorite podcast it's climate. really nice i've been using it for the whole time i've been listening to podcasts that itunes one just sucks yeah <laughs> <laughs> but if you do listen to itunes deliver a review please oh there. yeah that was nice uh, we're on soundcloud as well uh, stitcher 
Not on the Google Play Store yet because it hasn't been launched in the UK. Still get some people asking about it. Well, they've been like two and a half years now they've been saying it's coming. As soon as they do, they will be on there. Wherever you listen, please do keep your five-star ratings coming in if you're feeling generous and your reviews as well. Uh, Thank you so much for checking us out, guys. And right now, let's get into this week's special guest all about Retro Man Caves. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast and it's time to welcome this week's very special guest from the YouTube channel Retro Man Cave. Welcome to the show, Neil. Hello, Dan. Hello, Ravi and Joe. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, I've certainly been a listener for a long time, so I'm uh, extremely excited to be here, guys. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you so much for coming (laughs) on. Now, of course, we're going to get into a little bit of a chat about your incredible setup that we've all seen on YouTube, I'm sure. You know, your channel has gone like so far in such a short time and your setup looks incredible. So we need to get a few tips off you about, you know, making the perfect retro man cave because we could definitely do with a few tips, I'm sure. But let's talk about, you know, your early memories. I mean, you know, going all the way back to like day one, for example, what's kind of your earliest experience or memories of computers and video games? Where did it start? Well, the first computer I had and therefore probably the earliest memory was the uh, the good old Amstrad CPC 464. Um, I think that was Christmas 85. That probably uh, probably happened. And uh, it wasn't the green screen version. I was lucky enough to have the color screen with that. So uh, that was awesome. And I think the first game I loaded on that was probably one of those Amsoft games that came with it. So probably Roland on the Ropes, something like that. Maybe Bridget. Um, maybe even Animal Mineral Vegetable. I don't know if that's one you ever played. <laughs> oh, that's a classic. <laughs> so must and, have uh, for in fact, everybody. <laughs> I've, got, I've got two photos on my desk here. One is uh, my better half, Lily, and the other is that original photo from Christmas 85 of that machine. So I've still got that picture taken on Christmas morning on my desk here just to remind me uh, of my roots. Where you came from. <laughs> so yeah, was absolutely. that your favourite system then, or did you have anything later mm. that kind of beat it, you know? No, I think after that, I had the Amiga 500. Um, and I'm probably preaching to the converted here when I say I think that really was the first truly multimedia system before even multimedia had been had been coined as a term. And uh, with all the buzz about sort of content creation these days, I think when you think back to the Amiga days, um, I don't know what you guys, what your experiences were like But I was certainly video editing, I was making music, I was 3D rendering and um, doing flybys on fractal landscapes on Vista Pro and things like that on my Amiga. And um, where I I think the 8-bit and the ZX Spectrum created that generation of bedroom coders, I think the Amiga really did create a generation of not just coders, but um, I guess it enabled a generation of technical but creative folk the original kind of techie content creators, if you like. Uh, And I think that's probably why, coupled with my nostalgia for owning the system at the time, that's probably why that's my favourite system. Yeah, the good old Amiga 500. Well, you mentioned programming there. I mean, were you much of a coder and like which languages did you learn? I was. um, I think like most people, I started out with a little bit of basic, um, probably on the Amstrad. And no doubt, like most people, I lost many days' work from typing in those magazine uh, games that, that came in there, probably Amstrad Action or something like that. For some reason, one sticks in my head, which was the old Bouncing Babies game. I don't know if you remember that. All the magazines seem to publish this game where there were bouncing babies falling out of a skyscraper. <laughs> and you, did you remember this one? And you had to guide these stick men with a stretcher to catch the babies and I bounce did. them. Yeah, off yeah, school. I actually remember that. Yeah, because there was lots of uh, rude games made with a, a similar kind of theme, wasn't there? I think you can play yeah. online in a web browser today, I think, as well. Yeah. yeah, probably, probably. I don't know why that one, that's probably my earliest memory of actually programming something. And then uh, from there, it kind of followed into Amos on the, the Amiga. That was a great basic language to play with. Um, and then I moved into C when I was on the PC. Um, I think I actually did that with um, C for Dummies, the the old for Dummies books when I was about 14. And um, I think coupled with there used to be a library called Allegro, which you could use with the C. And it essentially took all of the hard work out of putting sprites on screens, um, making sound play and things like that. So I really got into making my own little games um, with C and Allegro. And I thought that's the way I wanted to go with a career into programming and headed off to college to try and learn a little bit more formally. And um, things went a bit strange there. In the first year of college, we did Pascal uh, as a programming language, which was fine. 
and we were all set to do C in the second year, and the C programmer um, disappeared. I don't quite know what happened to him, and we were left with only a tutor who knew COBOL. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah. Some old guy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I don't know where they dragged him out from. We spent a year learning COBOL, and um, for someone who liked to make parallax scrollers and and tile-based shoot-em-ups, um, it was a bit of a shock to the system. And, and I think it was at that point I thought, actually, I, I want to keep this programming lark um, as a hobby. I don't like it when other people tell me what to program. So um, I sort of ventured off into other areas of IT from there on. So uh, What actually got you started with YouTube and what was your kind of like first major influences for you? Um, well, I think YouTube um, really came about in about February 2017, although the channel's been registered longer. That's when I sort of started making videos. There was no real grand plan from the start to mm. create this retro man cave um, thing. Um, I was just really sharing my hobby in an attempt, I think, to engage with others with the same interest. Um, there's not many retro geeks, certainly not openly, in my quiet country town here in the Cotswolds. So uh, I thought I'd try and just connect with a few people on YouTube, sharing my hobby. Um, started out with a bit of emulation, you know, capturing games uh, and gameplay footage and just chatting about it. And um, yeah, and then kind of once you get over the weirdness of watching yourself and listening to yourself on on YouTube, um, you kind of start to pick out how to improve one little thing at a time. And I think sort of the ball got rolling and one thing led to another. um, And I just started to develop what it has become now. in terms of of the tone of the channel, I think some of those earlier episodes, um, I've actually taken some of them offline because the really early episodes, I kind of came across as a an angrier, less funny Charlie Brooker. <laughs> and um, I think I recognize that actually there's quite a lot of angry, shouty and sarcastic people out there on YouTube. Um, and some do that well and some not so well, but there's there's enough of them for my liking. So I wanted to steer my approach towards, um, I guess, a more gentle format with a bit more emphasis on the the genuine appreciation and, and the respect for the subject matter. Um, and I hope that's that's how it comes across now, rather than uh, an angry man shouting at video games. That's funny the change there because if you watch your videos now, they're almost like um, AMSR. They're so like relaxing and you know, they're yeah. Nice uh, I've had ever. comments like that, and uh, some people, some some of the American viewers have said I'm, I'm like the Bob Ross of <laughs> video <laughs> games. <laughs> Not a bad compliment there. <laughs> well, initially you said that you were doing some stuff about flight simulators. Yeah. In fact, the, the folder in which um, all of my YouTube videos are in is still called FS Chap is the folder, as in Flight Sim Chap. I, I don't quite know um, how that name came about. But um, yeah, flight simulators have always uh, interested me. I think I've always had an interest for, well, simulations in general, not just um, flight sims. And, um, you know, some of the standout games for me, um, certainly in the 8-bit era, were games like um, Paul Woke's Mercenary. I don't know if you played that one. Um, and even though that was a wireframe 3D game, you you had the, the freedom to explore. And it was almost like an, an early sandbox experience, um, if you like. And then you had um, flight sims like uh, F-18 Interceptor on the Amiga, MiG-29 and, and the Falcon series um, after that. And it was just interesting for me, the freedom they gave you and how much they really pushed the system. Um, and they didn't just push the system. I think they also shaped the systems that they were on. Um, for example, Jay Miner, who you all know as, as the father of the Amiga, um, he added ham or, or hold and modify to the Amiga because of his love for flight sims. Um, it, it was a feature in commercial flight sims at the time. So he specifically wanted that in the Amiga for that reason. Um, and uh, Chris Curry from Acorn, um, he said in an interview that he created a computer just because he wanted to be able to fly a flight sim. And when he saw the first flight sim running on an Acorn computer, that's when he considered his machine to be um, to be a success. So um, I think... Yeah, my love of flight sims is just the way that they tie in so much with the hardware um, and the freedom they gave you before sandbox was was a term that was banded about in gaming. And they were um, kind of massively popular. And like you said, they kind of did that hardware drive was to, you know, get the better flight sim and to get it in nice and quality. It really did. They really did. Even um, back when IBM PC compatibles came about, 
um, back in the 80s. They tested them with um, Lotus 123 and Microsoft Flight Sim. And if it could run those two programs, then it was considered compatible because between them, they really tested the boundaries of the system. Um, so, yeah, they really do push the systems. So with uh, that being said about flight simulators, they're kind of like a lost genre now. Why do you think that is? Well, there's certainly less of them. They're not they're not lost completely. Mm. Um, I think Microsoft really screwed the pooch um, when they uh, changed Microsoft Flight Simulator to Microsoft Flight. I don't know if you followed that a few years back. Yeah. And um, yeah, their aim was basically to divide the world into pay-to-play regions where flight sim had previously been the entire world even if you had to pay for add-on packs to get a bit more scenery and make it a bit more interesting you could fly around the world and um yeah the, the flight sim crowd i don't think was prepared to swallow that so that basically killed the big one uh, ms flight sim um but we still got things like x-plane and dcs world is, is an example of a combat flight sim that's pretty incredible in terms of its simulation and its presentation but um i think if you really want to push our modern PCs, our i7s, and um, and our GeForce 1080s, or whatever the latest tech is now. Um, yeah, it, it takes a lot of development time to, to really create the modern um, equivalent. And I think when the returns are so much greater for the effort on something like Call of Duty, you know, or the FPSs, I think developers don't really want to put the time, um, the effort, or the money into the genre, really, when they can get more returns elsewhere. So, um it's sad. Flight sims deserve their day in the sun again, but um, I don't think we'll ever see those um, those five kilogram big boxes on the shelves again, <laughs> you know, full of manuals and maps. When you first started the channel, were you kind of surprised at the rate that it's grown? Because in over about six months, you've got 30k subscribers, which is pretty phenomenal. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, the the 30,000 is probably over more like 10 months, not quite six, but it still has been, yeah, a rapid increase. Um, I think my goal initially was about 100 subscribers. <laughs> I, I considered that to be my success rate. If I hit 100 and I was able to sort of engage and converse with people in the comments, then that would be fine for me. Um, but then I think the big turning point was the Amiga 500 um, Trash to Treasure series that I did. So um, I made a series where I, I picked up a, a really funky old Amiga 500. It was a, it was an absolute mess. Um, it didn't turn on. Um, it was a good deal, though. I picked it up for, I think, £20 I paid for it with a, with a nice working Philips monitor, um, which was worth a lot more than that in itself. But, um, yeah, I nursed it back to life, retro-brighted it, um, uh, scoped it out with the, uh, the oscilloscope and figured out what the problem was. Um, and then for, for some reason, um, it's a mystery to me how YouTube works, but for some reason they chose it to feature. And of course, as soon as it was featured, uh, that, that video or one of the videos in the, uh, in the series shot up to 100,000 views. And, and with that came an influx of subscribers. So that really, really started the ball rolling and it, and it kind of spread from there. So uh, it was the good old Amiga that did it for me. A friend for life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I love your your series from uh, you know Trash to Treasure. They're really good videos, and it's mm. nice watching the process of an old neglected machine getting brought back to its former glory. I mean, what is kind of the procedure that you use when you get like a, a beaten up old machine? Is there any steps that you do at first to check that it's okay? Um, yeah, I mean, the very first checks I would always do is to um, is to get the lid off, lid off of it and check for any batteries. Um, they're the real sort of time bombs in these old machines now. So uh, once the batteries start to leak, they start eating away at the traces and any surrounding components in there. And, and you've got you've got a big job in your hands, if not impossible, if, if you've got leakage in there. So things like um, Amigas with battery backed up clocks in, in the trapdoor, um, A500s, they have batteries actually on the main board. They're, they're two prime examples. Um, and, and in fact, if anyone listening has got Amiga 500s in their loft right now. I urge you to to go and check that nothing's leaking in them and and just get those batteries out of your systems. Um, and then after that, I'll check for any leaking or bulging capacitors, which are essentially like batteries anyway. Um, and if there's any leaking ones, maybe snip them out, take a picture, just so that you know the capacitor rating and and, in, and the orientation of it as well, um, just so you can get a new one. Um, clean off any leakage. 
Um, and then those are the main dangers. So I, I would check for those things first. Uh, and then once they're out of the way, I'll usually test things like uh, I'll test the power supply if it came with one to make sure that's not going to send the wrong voltage into the machine and zap it. Um, and then from there, it really depends on on the specific machine, I'd say. Um, in general, I'll take stock of um, the condition and the spec of the machine. Maybe see if there's any optional upgrades or mods that have been put in there. Um, and then from there, I'll start to devise an episode, if I can make an episode about that particular machine. Um, if it's something I think I can fix um, and it's in a bad state, then obviously it's the ideal trash to treasure type system and I'll make three or four episodes about it. Um, or if it's a system in a, in good working order, then maybe just a single episode where we can take a tour and, and learn a bit more about it. So, um, but yeah, get those batteries out, people, um, if you've got any old systems floating around. I think it was a really important point you made about power supplies as well, because I've had some systems in the past where cosmetically they looked all right and the PCB looked okay, but then they've had some really mm. like funky behavior and random crashes. And then you can often trace that back to the power supply, but you might not even think to check that at first. You can. And um, there are certain systems which are more notorious than others for that kind of thing. Things like the Commodore 64, or at least some of the older Commodore 64 power supplies. Um, we covered that in a Trash to Treasure series. And you can actually buy things now like um, a C64 power saver, I think it's called, which is just a little device that sits between the power supply and the system. So if it, if it detects a spike from the power supply, it will just cut it off before it gets to the system and, and save your uh, your beloved Commodore 64. So uh, for uh, 10 or 15 quid, it's it's worth it, I think, to, to add that little extra layer of protection. Well, I really loved your video on retrobriting because retrobriting is, you know, re removing the kind of yellow from the uh, plastics when they go horrible with all this UV light. And that can work on, you know, the snares or any console or computer. And you did this great video where you went through the process and kind of worked out all the different elements of it. Um, tell us about that video and how you kind of planned it and uh, came up with the uh, crazy device that you built at the end that looked like a giant bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a bit crazy wasn't it um so uh the reason it came about really was because if you look on youtube and, and you try to research retro writing at all what you'll come up with is a lot of videos based in the states and a lot of people whose whose biggest problem is too much sun and that's certainly not a problem we have here in in the uk um in fact it's, it's the exact opposite so i'm watching videos of people saying oh no I, i've marbled my uh my plastics or I've melted my plastics because I left it in the sun for five minutes and I'm looking out the window at, at falling snow in March going uh yeah I don't quite have the same problems here and I'm going to need to come up with a a different approach to it so um yeah so that's what what I did I, I decided to figure out how can we retrobrite indoors and that involved um a combination of full spectrum lights um a sous vide <laughs> as if you um, as you'd use for cooking um, some big pots and lots of tin foil and we did get some good results at the end of it um, but it got yeah it got a bit mad science um, halfway through the episode but we, we pulled through and got a good result yeah so hopefully that helps some people out there in the UK at least or in some of these other rainy countries to restore their systems well, I was talking a bit earlier on on today's podcast about um, a system that I put away in my airing cupboard, which, you know, was completely away from any light or anything like that. But it actually yellowed. It must be, I imagine, from the heat that's in there. So, I mean, have you found that affects it as well? Um, yeah, uh, heat can be used to both cause and reverse the effect. Um, seems to be heat, um, certain part of the light spectrum. Some people say it's UV, but um, uh, I think we proved with the full spectrum light um, in fact, no, we didn't. We we proved with the heat alone in, and the sous vide that we could reverse it. So, yeah, I'm I'm not a chemist. I can't explain the, the chemistry behind what causes it. And um, it seems as soon as you do try to explain it, you will get bombarded with lots of conflicting versions of what causes it and what doesn't cause it. So I tried to keep out of that. And um, in the video I did, I just tried to focus on, OK, I'm going to try A, B and C. And here are the results from each. And take it as you will. If you know the chemistry behind it, then great. 
But um, yeah, I'm certainly not a chemist, but we got some results. <laughs> it's, it's kind of mad, the sous vide as well, because it makes so much sense that it's going to keep it at a constant temperature. And I kind of find myself going around Superdrug at the moment, buying like ladies' hair products, nail polish remover. And <laughs> all these You've always done that right Weird <laughs> things, yeah, for my consoles. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Try being a man with no hair that buys, um, yeah, hair dye. <laughs> it's a fun experience. So um, how did you pick a location for your man cave? The man cave is about a three-minute walk from the original man cave. So I live in a, um, a basement flat which had uh, two bedrooms, one of which I was using as the man cave last year. And... Um, I was kind of outgrowing it. Um, my work had changed. I gave up my my career in IT and started working in graphic design, which was a, a self-employed um, position. So I was working from home. So it was a combination of filling up my, my man cave with um, retro systems and also having the discipline to work from home, but not to switch off at six o'clock. I really needed to create that divide so that I could shut the door and come home. So um, as it happened, um, some office space came up um, for rent just near my flat and it was a basement office, which was perfect for the channel. And of course, it meant nobody wanted it. Nobody wants to work in an office with no windows except for muggins here. So, um, yeah, I got a good price for it and thought, OK, let's go for it. So the the retro man cave is actually half of it is that studio space that you see me filming in. And the other half is my editing space, but actually also where I do my full-time job, which is why the channel is not my full-time job, but I have the the time to be able to, um, well, I can devote so much time to it because as soon as I have a quiet slot in my graphic design work, I just step three steps to the right into the studio, flick the camera on and, and we're away. So um, it's a really nice balance to be able to do the two in the same place. I think you've got a good balance there as well in terms of work-life kind of thing because, you know, I often find this, I've got like one room at home that kind of everything's in I do work from as well, but it can be like, you know, if a video's rendering or something you like or, you know, or, or an email comes in, you think, I'll reply to that in a bit. I'll just play Sonic and Knuckles for 10 minutes and then <laughs> before you know it, it's like, you know, half the day's gone. Yeah, yeah just five more well. minutes, just five more yeah. minutes and then, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you've wasted your day. So, um, yeah, I do get a bit twitchy though. I haven't quite got out of the old habits of having everything at home. So I get home at sort of six o'clock after a day's work in the in the cave. I'm thinking, hmm, I should be editing this video or I should be researching this. And uh, my other half, Lily's like, no, you, you've got to get another hobby now. You've got to get something else to do when you're not in the cave. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm getting used to it. Is it the kind of modern day equivalent of the uh, English garden shed? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the two are, are mutually exclusive. Um, I think a, a man cave can be a shed and a shed can be a man cave, really. Um, it's not about the, the, the physical attributes of it. It's more about um, what happens in there, I think. So, so long as, um, so long as it's a space that you can devote to your hobby, so long as your tools haven't been moved when you go back there <laughs> and it's your space, and um, so long as nobody goes in there without the the cave dweller's permission the owner of the cave then i think uh, a shed can be a man cave and a man cave can be a shed absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned your uh, partner lily there did it take much convincing uh you know to kind of get the office space and go there or has she always kind of been on board since day one the thing about lily is she's a bigger geek than i am ah. um <laughs> she's a uh, <laughs> she's an archaeologist so she gets more excited about older things than even I do in the cave here. So, um, yeah, she was very encouraging and uh, and happy to um, to get the spare room back, actually. It, it's more her sewing cave now, um, where she sews and reads Batman comics uh, while I'm working in the cave. So, uh, yeah, no problems at all from Lily. <laughs> Everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in designing your, I mean, if, if people haven't seen your channel, I implore them to go and have a look. At your, you know, your set looks incredible. I mean, did you kind of build that all by hand, and how did you plan what was going to be in there, or did you kind of get contractors in to help you? So I, um, I installed it all myself. Um, the planning goes back to um, I, I came up with a mood board, which I shared with my patrons, and um, we discussed it a little bit, and I came up with this idea of contrasting like the tech. Um, against the the rough wood that you see in the background, the untreated apple boxes and sort of industrial metal hints and lights and things like that. 
Um, and then I had to tone it down to do it within the budget and the space that I had. But, you know, you've got to start with a big idea and work from there. Um, and then complemented all of that with the LED lights that you see sort of change color every now and then in the background. So, um, yeah, I designed it myself. Um, I have a history of working in the um, in the attractions industry, certainly in the, the retail parts of that. So I've worked in a lot of shops and seen a lot of shop designs. And um, the whole sort of Apple box look is quite, you know, uh, popular at the moment, or at least it was last year. You know, it's probably moved on by now. And I always liked that look and always thought it would work well with the retro computers. So um, I think it's a nice change. I've got nothing against those YouTubers who have the, the typical black bookcases, you know, lined with games. That looks great. But I just wanted something a little bit different. So, um, yeah, I think it works. And I, I'm glad you like it, Dan. Thank you. Well, what are the essential areas? Like, you've got your filming area and stuff. Do you, do you need, like, a, mm -hmm. a, a gaming area where you can just sit and chill? Or do you need a, a repair area where you can get all your stuff? Or a place to even store your donations? Yeah, it's it's perhaps not as big as it looks on camera. It is, it is just one room down here. Um, so it's really divided into the studio area that you see with the um, the big table in the middle. And then in the middle of the room, there are the storage shelves, which is probably the most important part of the whole thing. So um, I've got all these storage shelves built up, the kind of thing that you would put in your garage, um, big metal and wood storage shelves. And then on those, every system has a box. So there's a ZX Spectrum with a, in, a, in a plastic box, you know, the Commodore 64, the Amigas. They're all in their boxes, ready to be pulled off the shelf at any time with all the leads and everything I need to set them up on the table. So it really helps me to produce the content really quickly and then put it all away again because I'm, I'm definitely um, a person who has, if I have a, a messy work environment, then I get a messy mind and, and everything grinds to a halt. So I have to keep everything in its place. I have to keep everything tidy. And um, I haven't got a gaming area. Generally, I pull a system out and, and just pop, pop it on the table and play it when I've got people coming around or take it home. But I would like to put a projector in here somewhere so I've just got that permanent projector in and I can just plug a system in and have a gaming wall or something discreetly. But um, it's certainly starting to fill up. So you mentioned there you get, you know, you get your donations, you get a nice amount of donations. But you also mentioned you like to keep it kind of tidy. You don't want the messy area for a messy mind. Mm -hmm. Is it getting pretty full? Are you a bit of a hoarder, a bit of a collector or do you kind of, you know, haul through them and pass them on? It is. It is filling up. I um people contact me when they want to make a donation. So I always have a chat with them first about okay. what it is that they want to send before I randomly give out my address. Um, and I don't like to double up on things. I don't like to deprive, you know, other people of getting hold of these systems if I've already got one perfectly good working one. So I try not to hoard. Um, I try to look for the unusual things. Um, I had a Vectrex through today, which is not in working order. So that should make for some interesting episodes. And um, that's actually a system that I only got to use for the first time at uh, Play Expo in Blackpool, which is where I bumped into Dan and Ravi for the first time. Yes. Um, and I was really impressed with the Vectrex. I'm sure you guys have played on it, but uh, it just holds up so well. So sort of those silky smooth vector graphics, I don't think they'll ever age. So I'd love to get that working. Well, I don't um, think it's the same one because they keep breaking play. So every year they oh, bring okay. out a new Vectrex. <laughs> yeah, great little system. So, um, yeah, it is filling up, but I I try not to hoard. Um, I don't really collect games. I try to collect the systems. The games, they very quickly take up a lot of space. Um, so, uh, yeah, I try to be as selective as possible, Jay. Well, you got donated a uh, next, key, uh, next station, didn't you? Yeah. That's a pretty a good station. score. Turbo Color. That's not a donation, unfortunately. I'd love it if it was. That's more of um, a loan. Um, but I've got it for as long as I need to explore it and make some episodes about it. And um, yeah, that was really interesting. I, I It came about because a viewer of the channel invited me over to, um, to Oxford University. Um, and they invited me to the uh, Atmospheric, um, Oceanic and Planetary Physics Building, which... Um, yeah, sounds far too brainy a place for me to be. But uh, I found my way there, and, and he gave me a really lovely tour of the building. Um, they they basically designed things that go into spaceships and satellites, um, usually measuring instruments. 
And it was, yeah, it was just incredible to see the things that they were sending up to space, the things that had come back, um, bits of meteorite and things like that. So I had this most amazing tour. Um, and then he said he could loan me this uh, this next station turbo color, complete with the original monitor, all in working condition, keyboard, mouse. Um, there's a sound module that sits next to it. Uh, and even the original mouse mat all, all next um, branded. So, And that, that really came about simply because of the channel. Somebody was watching it. They wanted to invite me to uh, come and enjoy where they worked and to share this system with uh, with me. And um, yeah, if it wasn't for the channel, I, I would never have got to see a next station. I'm sure it would never have crossed my path. So uh, yeah, that's, I guess, an example of, of what's come out of Retro Man Cave and, and just sharing my enthusiasm for these things and, and other people wanting to share it with me. It's great stuff. Well, that next station, Turbo, is a gorgeous machine. I mean, if people don't remember, it's like a pizza box style design. And you, we were t- talking before we started recording before that you actually see quite a lot of elements of current Mac OS in the next that's right yeah right down to the the spinning ball that you see in os uh, in in osx um the docs similar there's even if you open the mail app the, there's one email in there it's the default email that comes with it and it's from steve jobs <laughs> <laughs> you can say steve jobs right. emailed you now then yeah exactly yeah so uh, that's a nice touch and it will be really nice to tell the story of the next on the on the channel going back to the next cube and obviously the story everyone knows of Tim Berners-Lee inventing the World Wide Web, um, but also that connection to the the Apple pizza box computers uh, and beyond. And the fact that the software that came with it, I've got the, um, uh, the box of Next Step, the academic bundle I've got with it, and it says very clearly on the front for, um, for Next Station, for 486 and for Pentium, so the fact from day one, when you know Apple bought them out and switched um, the operating system, uh, they had an x86 version. Um, obviously, they switched to PowerPC, but they denied they could do that all the way through to when they switched to Intel. So it'll be very interesting to uh, explore that, try and install it on a 486 or a Pentium computer and, and see how it runs on that in comparison to the, uh, the Motorola CPU that's in there. What is your dream donation? Um... If there Tends is one. to be, yeah. Oh, I know. It would be a, a sitting outrun arcade cabinet. Oh. That would do me. <laughs> <laughs> Delivered by helicopter. Set <laughs> you know, the side of your house off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good no, one. I think that, that's pretty unlikely. Um, I think failing that, big box Amigas, for all my love of Amigas, I've never actually got to, uh, to use a big box Amiga. It's always been the wedges, the 600s, the 500s, the 1200s. Uh, and of course the the CD32 that was on the channel recently, so I'd like to get my hands on one of those. Um, and the unusual things that you don't often see, things like a Sharp uh, X68000. Um, oh, you guys got to play with something really nice. I think it was last year. You got your hands on the Amiga 1200 prototype CD-ROM drive. Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. I found that in a museum in Leicester, <laughs> and they, they they were unaware <laughs> of what they had. Yeah, anything like that. Um, there are some prototypes floating around of the American CD32s that never got released. I'd love to get my hands on one of those. So, uh, yeah, I'm not picky. I'm grateful for, for whatever comes in the door. But, uh, you know, the more unusual, the better. I know we're all at Play Expo and, uh, you know, we were sitting next to Nos- Nostalgia Nerd. Peter and he got uh, mm. an Atari Falcon recently. We're all a bit uh, envious beat of that. him up yeah. in the corner. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice day. He did, yeah. That's a system I've never got to play with. Um Although one of my patrons, um, Gary, is coming to visit next month, and he's, he, I, I sometimes do a show and tell episode, which is just for a, cha- a chance for people to come on the channel and yeah, show and tell something interesting. They don't have to be uh, a YouTuber at all. Uh, in fact, Gary isn't. He just wants to come in and share these great things he's got. And one of them is a falcon. So that will be the first time I get to see a falcon, and, and we can have a little chat about it. Maybe capture some footage and, um, yeah, share that on the channel. So looking forward to that. Well, I love your kind of exploratory exploration of lots of different systems. And, you know, you should come round to Dan's house one day because he's got 80 in one room. So <laughs> I think oh, wow. you, you'd really love it. Bursting at the seams. Yeah. I yeah, loved your yeah. video recently on Soviet machines as well, kind of that telling means. the other perspective of uh, video games and systems. Uh, how, how did you research that? And did you get distracted by it or anything? 
Yeah. Wow. Well, um, yeah, I fell down a rabbit hole with that one. It seems, uh, yeah, the more I dug into the history of Soviet computing, I think, um, and, and the surrounding countries, um, yeah, the more I found. So uh, it's got an amazingly rich computing history over there, both I mean, both government-driven and, and the hobbyist history over there. And um, I think to in, the whole the whole story was about the the Soviet clones, the ZX Spectrum clones, but I wasn't able to tell that story without laying out the context and the history um, that came about. So the Cold War, communism, and everything around it before I could actually speak about the clones ZX Spectrums and put them in the right context. So um, yeah, that was tricky. And it's not that the research is is hard; it's just that it's time consuming, um, and, and the the channel really needs that balance of quality content, but also regular content to keep its momentum going. So the hard part is really, yeah, knowing where to draw the line to keep both the quality and the momentum, you know, so I can actually get a release out that week. So, uh, yeah, I, I tend to put the feelers out to, um, my Facebook group and, and my patrons when I start something like that. Um, I did an episode a while back on the Minitel, which was a French device that, not so many people have heard of, maybe more in the UK, but certainly in the States, not many people have heard of the Minitel. And uh, a patron came forward called Bastian, who was based in in France. So he was really a a great help in translating and helping to research and just to to check my research against his real life experiences in France. Um, So that was a real pleasure to work with him. And um, yeah, it just makes the whole episode a bit more rounded and a bit more complete to have those real life experiences and especially when um, you can get talking heads onto the episode as well so bastian and one other french guy came on to talk about their experiences on that episode unfortunately i couldn't get any um ukrainians or slovakians or or russians to come on onto the soviet episode but um there, there is so much history there that i dug up there'll be many many more episodes um, and indeed, streaming as well is something I want to go into. Um, so when I do an episode on these things, I really want to follow it up with a stream of the machine so people can see more than than what's in a 20 minute episode, maybe have a two or a three hour stream of playing on, say, uh, the Didactek, which was the Slovakian ZX Spectrum clone. And people can choose what games they want me to try. If they work, they work. If they don't, then, hey, we found something that's not compatible on this clone. And just have a bit of fun and, and a bit more of a laid back chat over it. So, um, yeah, I, I think I may be the only person that streams a Slovakian ZX Spectrum <laughs> on Twitch and, and, and lots of other are, machines yeah. beside. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned the Minitel, and that was a really interesting story. I mean, for people that might not be familiar with what the Minitel was, I mean, kind of give us a bit of a summary about what it, what it was and what you learned. So the Minitel, um, the easiest way to explain it to to um, the Brits is it's it's two-way teletext, basically. It was teletext, but you could talk back to it. And um, it was a terminal that you could pick up for free uh, in France. You'd pop down to your post office and pick up your Minitel terminal, plug it into the phone line, uh, and then, um, yeah, you could connect to services by dialing the number on your telephone and then hanging up the telephone, and the Minitel would take over that connection. And all over France, there would be billboards advertising all of the services so you would dial a number to get into your online banking to book your train tickets or your flights and this was all happening pre-world wide web so france had a huge jump start on the world in terms of interactive services and it was a curse and a blessing um, because they got to enjoy all of these things but they became very attached to it and also the phone companies were making a huge cut out of all the calls so it really held them back from actually migrating to the World Wide Web when the rest of the world caught up and moved on to the web. So, um, yeah, really interesting story. And a lot of the corporations actually held it back as well. So um, the uh, the train company in France, because they were making so much money through Minitel, they opened a website. But uh, the website said, if you want to book your tickets, go to your Minitel and dial in. So they really hindered the progress of the web. And it was, um, it was going for a long time, didn't it? Only shut down about like a decade ago. It did, yeah. I think there were still 90,000 or so in operation uh, around the year 2000. Um, yeah, and they all went off and got recycled. And luckily, I came across one. Um, it's not the most... There's really there's really hardly anything in the machine. It, it's basically a dumb terminal because everything happens remotely. But there are enthusiasts out there that are, are still running um, servers that you can dial into. Um, it 
currently takes an international number to get to because it's based in France. So you don't want to be connected to it for too long. But I did the demonstration on the video on the channel, so you can have a look at it on there. And um, yeah, and I've also got a lead, a USB lead that I can plug in the back of it so that I can make it talk to a Raspberry Pi and use it as a terminal to the Pi. So uh, I'll be playing with that in a future episode just to see if I can make this um, this uh, Minitel a little bit more useful in the present day. I um, don't know how far I'll get. It's It's got the French Azerty keyboard, which is... Uh, quite confusing. <laughs> you can get some mud games or something on there, maybe though. Yeah, well, maybe. And um, I have seen people have converted them into um, tabletop arcade machines, um, but I really don't want to rip rip it apart. I want to keep it in its original state. But um, yeah, those are out there as well. I'm quite interested to know. Do you mainly just collect computers, or is there some love for the consoles as well? There is some love for the consoles. Um, I think it's just. The content that I create started off with computers, and I just think it generated those kind of donations. I, you know, I, I do, I do buy the machines um, often that appear on the channel, but mostly they're donations. And um, yeah, I think me covering micros just encourages more micros to come in. But I'm changing that. I've um, took delivery today of a, a PC engine, which um, is the tiniest, cutest console that I've ever seen. I don't know if you've <laughs> used a PC engine. Um, so I hope to cover that. I've got PlayStation 1 to cover, PlayStation 2 Slim sitting here, and I've got a slightly wonky um, Neo Geo um, MVS board, which uh, I need to get on the table and work on. I've got all the components to do that now. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck in. And I, I'm constantly saying on the channel, I don't game enough. I need to game more, and I haven't got time for gaming, which is another reason why I want to just lean into the streaming a little bit more because uh, it gives me that excuse to to do a bit more gaming, whether it be on consoles or, or micros. Uh, either way, I, I, I don't mind. So, yeah, yeah, you will see more consoles, Joe. Brilliant. So are they, do you think they'll be coming up soon, or are they just kind of in the pipelines? The Neo Geo will be very soon. Um, then it will probably be the next station. Um, I've Actually, I've taken all the component, delivery of all the components today for a build-your-own NES Mini rather than buying the official Nintendo one. <laughs> so that'll be a fun one to do. Um, yeah, and Raspberry Pis crop up a lot with Retro Pi. So we, we cover the consoles a lot. I know it's not the real thing, but we cover them a lot on, on Retro Pi as well. So, uh, yeah. Well, Neil, we're big fans of your channel. You know, it's incredible how far you've come in the last year, and uh, long may it continue. And hopefully we'll be seeing you at some, uh, some shows again soon. It was great to bump into you at Play Expo. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was great to meet you guys for, for the first time. And um, that was actually my first retro expo. Um, the last expo I went to, this will tell you how long ago it was, John Hare was presenting can a, a beta version of Cannon Fodder oh, wow. on a big screen. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great to, <clears throat> to get out amongst uh, fellow um, retro fans, uh, meet you guys and... Um, Go through the strange experience of being recognised. It is bizarre, was, isn't it? That was quite odd. Were we sober, yeah. or maybe partially sober? <laughs> We're never sober at Blackpool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> well, Neil, if people haven't checked out your channel and they want to find you, then what, what's the best way to get hold of you? What did the search for? Have you got websites, Twitters? Um, it, it's pretty much all through YouTube. So YouTube.com/slash/RetroManCave. Um, uh, Twitter, I'm at the Retro Man Cave, um, and I've also got a shop that I opened last week, just selling retro merchandise to try and support the channel. That's Etsy.com/shop/slash/TheRetroManCave, so you can find some retro mugs and posters and things like that. But uh, yeah, YouTube's really where it all happens. So come onto YouTube. Um, I try to reply to as many comments as I can and, and have a lot of chat with the viewers. So uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you there. Well, keep up the good work. And uh, yeah, you too. Love the show. Keep it up. And uh, I'll have to dig through the archives to uh, listen to one where this airs because uh, I don't fancy listening to myself. But uh, there's lots of great content back there. So I'll have to dig into the archives. <laughs>